This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. But Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Main Command Center in the North Central Piney Woods here. So we've got a pretty good day coming. It uh, looks as if we got the sun shining. We had a lot of fog in the pasture today. And that was a good sign that maybe some of the moisture is uh, getting out of its system after we had such a deluge. So uh, we're in the Mellon Law Studio in the Warthog Command Center on a uh, Thursday uh, that we talk with our Dance Alive uh, people. And you may check me on 352-325-3938 on a Mellon Law hotline or Facebook. Check me and I'll see what your message are coming in. Uh, I got a, a guest today from Dance Alive National Valley. I, don't, I can't remember now how long I've known her, but I know I interviewed her years ago when she first came to Dance Live National Ballet from Cuba on the radio. She was a shy young lady then. <laughs> and she's blossomed out into uh, a very, very knowledgeable and professional uh, uh, person here interacting in the community as well as being a great dancer. So uh, I've got a couple of things I want to ask her as we go along because she is alarmingly, well, she thinks she is. I don't know. She might be like Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady thought he retired from football, but you know what? He couldn't really get it out of his system. So um, Jesse Dominguez, who is a uh, fantastic uh, personality and dancer, um, has claimed, just to give you some background information on our discussion coming up, that she has retired from dancing. I don't believe it. I, I don't think you can get it out of your system. Uh, my mother, who lived to be 107 and a half, uh, danced right up to the very end. I mean, she, get, she couldn't get it out of her system. Once a dancer, always a dancer. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. She claims she's retiring. But the more interesting thing is, uh, as a spinoff to our original endorsement of Dance Alive National Ballet by featuring once a month uh, the ballet here on the Ward Scott Files podcast and helping give a good nudge out into the community to make us uh, in the community aware of this excellent group of people who are the best kept secret, at least at that time, I thought were the best kept secret in this community, develop its own podcast. And uh, that was very, that, that was um, a good move. And Jessie became the podcast host. I, at least every time I checked in, she was the podcast host. And so I'm going to start out talking with her about what it's like to be what we do and what she learned from it and what experiences that taught her. So Jessie Dominguez, um, I don't know how long ago we met. Was it five years you came here? Ago? Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, have been uh, six years. I came here in 2016, and it's okay. one. So yeah, oh, been wow. it's like six minutes to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. How many times have I have been on your show? Like I, I can tell, like probably. I remind uh, like three or four times that I have been a guest well, on your show. I, 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 
them. I remember we did once when Aron's, uh, my husband, um, just came and, and have a contract with Dance Alive and we get together and you uh, 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 have, have us there. And I remember we did once during coronavirus also. So I am happy, very happy to be, to be your guest. And thank you for having well, maybe I formed, I, I performed some function as Cupid too in that relationship because I don't think you and Iran were married then, and no. um, and so maybe you know, uh, <laughs> who knows? I mean, uh, it is sort of a match made in heaven. You have so much in common, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you're both dancers. And uh, uh, I know that um, Iran has, has branched out into in the business world, so. Yeah. Um, and that's that's good because I know you all like the country so much. We talked. One of the things I'll always remember, and I hope you don't mind me talking about this, but you came and you I asked you, I think, if you wanted to be a citizen, mm -hmm. uh, plus a lot of the Dance Alive people do, uh, of course, um, Andy Valadon. And and uh, yeah, you said you did, but you didn't want to. I never forget this now, uh, Jesse. You said you didn't want to go to Miami and become a citizen for 300 bucks. You could do that but you'd have to look over your shoulder the rest of your life. Yeah, I'm going to do it the right way. We're going to become citizen this year because, I mean, you know, for Cuban people, we should wait for five years as a permanent resident with the legal uh, documents, of course. And, um, yeah, this year is our year to take, the, to take the exam. We are so excited. We are very proud to be on this country. I mean, uh we came from Cuba, we both were professionals there, but once you arrive to this country, you, you, your eyes and your minds blow out because here the sky is the limit. So, you know, I, I, I am pretty grateful, pretty grateful with the country, but especially I am very grateful with the community of Gainesville. I have always feel welcome. I have always feel part of the of the community so you asked me like two minutes ago like are you gonna stay on Gainesville oh, definitely definitely this community and this town is is part of my life now I believe it's a very nice town to raise your kids to start a new business to grow as a as an entrepreneur or as a you know a business person like my husband is doing now to grow as a professional also so yeah this and, year know, to became citizen finally <laughs> good well i apologize because i always bring up the comment that i always remember you saying to uh your driver driving you in linda rocha i think was driving you in from the aeroporto when you first got here huh? and linda squealed on you because she told me that uh she uh, linda was driving jesse for those of you who are just tuning in and, and um linda of course did the thing you do she stopped for the red light and jesse exclaimed uncontrollably really just blurted it out is the way i heard it Oh my golly, your traffic lights work here. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've just, that's just been a benchmark for me if, uh, that in a, in a, in a, in a Little, sentence says what, you say, what you're saying, you know. Yes. You know, our infrastructure is still intact, even though there might be potholes in the road to rock light it. It can get worse. <laughs> it can get a lot worse, you know, believe me. And yeah. I, I've always remembered that. That was very funny. So, well, um, coming back to your question about the podcast. Uh, of Dance Alive, that um, that idea I start um, on June of last last year. Uh, I became part of the promotion and marketing team of the of the uh, business, and 
uh, with Kim and I, and also Emily was involved on the on that. We we came with the idea to to create a podcast to talk a little bit about uh, dance alive and about all the events that dance alive has and the performance and uh, the the process during the rehearsal because some of our audience have the acknowledge and and they know that oh you rehearse for since 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. but some people don't know about that the, the people think like you just go to the theater and do your job and and that's it and, and that's not right so the, the proposal of the podcast uh will be like to create an awareness on on the community about what uh dance alive uh do and how many good scenes dance alive brings to gainesville and also how many people and and uh are involved on, on, on the dance alive process because uh, we see each other on the gala the other day and you saw how many how many stars how many people that have been supporting dance alive for so many years were there uh, you know and and that's that's the mostly the proposition of the podcast the podcast is called on a stage with dance alive and it goes live every Monday at 4 30. Uh, on Facebook and YouTube, and yeah, I am I am the host now. I am retiring, like you say. <laughs> Probably someone else will replace me, and I believe like uh, if they continue with the podcast, it will be awesome. People love it. The 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 board members also like it a lot because you can see it live, or you can wait and see it later when you have the time. You right, know, right, right, right. Yeah. It has been fantastic, and and uh, also for me as a host, I have the opportunity to to know people that probably are gonna be in my life forever because of this podcast. You know, you became friends and you became close with leaders of the community, with people that are not involved in the art world but they want to support the arts, and and that's a beautiful thing. Well, I think you're right about Gainesville in this area. It's always been uh, 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 there's so many different types of arts. And of course, I have a, a long period of time here that I've seen. We've had music. Uh, we've had painting. And I know your mother paints. I want to talk yes. about that in a moment. Um, you know, we've had cre very a, a lot of creative people. Mm -hmm. And and um, you know, I don't see any reason that's changed uh, very much all. I want to talk about the arts with your mother because I, I know that she presents at the Spring Arts Festival and she's I think she's very popular. I think she's pretty good business yeah. lady too because I think didn't her one of her paintings get sold at the auction? Yes, can it gets. About, can you talk about that a little bit? I was so happy because um, my Kim asked me asked my mom if she can you know uh, donate some uh, arts. Of course, for for the auction, and my mom said, "Like, okay, let's find some beautiful one that represent us as a Cuban." And and I prepare one paint that it was called Havana, like the capital in Cuba, and it was just uh, little houses. My my mom was an architect on the past, so her art is very uh, into that, into the uh, buildings and uh, landscaping uh, paintings. So uh, we prepare a large piece, 48 inches, so very 
beautiful and it gets sold like this i am so happy i am very happy my mom has been an artist for her whole life and uh since i came here on gainesville we we came with the idea okay what how can we uh, be part of the gainesville community also with 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 the art with the paintings and we start uh getting into the show into the shows into the festival business and yeah she have been on the spring art festival on downtown art festival we're gonna do the Thornbrook festival that is coming now in april 1st and 2nd uh tallahassee um i don't know so many different shows and i am very very happy that uh that's happening my mom is still in cuba but we are working on the process for her to bring her here or at least to uh, that she, she have the opportunity to have a visa to, to come legally to the United States. She's still in Cuba because I always wonder, yeah. you know, about your mom. But yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and the thing I've always liked about her work is the it's very colorful. Oh, right? yeah. Very colorful. It's folk art. It's folk art. So the, it, my mom is one of the principal's woman's folk artist in Cuba. She's one of the best on her generation. So uh, yeah, folk art is very naive, it's very colorful. Mm -hmm. And it's very, I, I, it catches your eye. You know, one of the things yeah. we, from my point of view, you know, you walk through the um, streets and things and you look at people's wares, but hers always presents themselves very vividly and it draws the eye to them. So I think that's very smart, the colors that she uses. And I saw the picture of the painting that got auctioned off and you helped me understand that that was her artistic uh, rendition of Havana. Yes. That was, that was, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Yes, well, she's a very pleasant lady um, and I've met her just briefly a couple of times. So uh, I, I, I wish her the best in any way, of course, we can help bring her here or, or secure some sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll spread the word on that and try to help out with that because uh, it's the first time I really knew where she was. I know in the beginning when you came here, she was there, but I didn't yeah, know that she here. When I came here, she had she was uh, with a, a, a visa. She she have a tourist visa to to visit, but you know, tourist visa have an expiration date, and the expiration came, and now she's without any. Uh, visa, but we, we are. It's it's a it's a difficult moment right now. Honestly, it's. I feel like sometimes it's more difficult for legals, like for people that wants to came here legally, that from people that are crossing borders and all and you know all that problems that we, we have, have. We have no quarrel here with that, and I th I'm sure you don't have any with our listeners and viewers. That's uh, been one of the great problems that we've talked about. Yeah. So people like you who are, um, you know, want to contribute, do contribute, can contribute, can't get here. And mm -hmm. the others who don't contribute or do. And um, it's um, never been addressed adequately. Very weird. It's, it's just for me, it, it's, I don't know. I, I can't believe it because people that are trying to do the rising and have all the documents and all the proof and referral letters and museums that have been you know in, inviting her or festivals and all that and it's difficult for that kind of, of people and for other people that are just you know like crossing borders or 
uh, doing stuff in a different way is more, a little bit easier that way. I don't know, but definitely not the way that we want to take. <laughs> That's well, not the way, so. The thing I noticed in, in interviewing you that you're talking about that issue a little more freely than you did before. So that, that's a hopeful sign because I know you really didn't want to broach that subject too much the last, in the early days when I interviewed you. But I certainly knew it was coming not just from you, but it was coming from other dancers who were coming from other parts of the world uh, come here and encountering the same problems. And even now we have some of that, I think, with our dancers coming here are not citizens, but dancing. And um, yeah. we have to figure out a way to keep them and all the above. So. Uh, this is Jesse Dominga. She's from Cuba. Um, uh, did you know your husband? Did you know Aaron when you both were in Cuba together? Did you know yes. You did. You yeah, knew we were uh, being part of National Ballet of Cuba. We yes. meet there, and it was the same year. We meet on, at the same uh, period of time that I get my contract with Dance Alive. So it was everything was pretty fast, but. We decided that okay, let's let's give it a try to this relation, and and we did, and we married, and now we are here. And my husband, I I can be more proud of him. He was a dancer with Dance Alive for four years, and one day he decided, okay, I want to do another scene. I wanna, I love the restaurant business, and I'm gonna try it. And he's now the general manager of Jonesville location for Miapa Latin Cafe. Yes, and he's a handsome man, and he's a great athlete, and, um, you know, it's just one of the things. Classic uh, posture, too, by the way. Um, uh, as, as one gets older, one tends to notice a posture a little bit more because it <laughs> tends to become uh, a, more, a, a more negotiable issue with people who are older. If you take a look at them, they don't have, uh, with the exception of that one gentleman who comes from China, uh, occasionally, who's in his late 60s, the ballet dancer, that man is, is extraordinary. And he's That's extraordinary. True. I mean, yeah. he, he has the body flexibility of some of you who are much younger, and uh, he's very delightful. I always look forward to seeing him. Well, um, on your podcast, um, uh, you must have talked to some people who uh, sort of stood out now that you look back that uh, you don't want to mention any of those experiences at all? And I don't want to put you on the spot, of course, but... I mean, uh, I, I have been interviewed so many people on the podcast, like Im imagine every single Monday. I have to say that, honestly, we have uh, interviewed a, a lot of people from the Alashua community. And yeah. that's so fantastic. We, I mean, Dance Alive, that's, that's part of, of the strategy, you know? We, we want to grow, and Dance Alive wants to grow a little bit to Alashua, especially now that we have the Legacy Park that is perfect and, and is, you know, beautiful and always uh, have us and welcome Dance Alive in so many ways for events, for performance. So, uh, yeah, we have... So many guests, Joe Hancom, Mitch Glazer, uh, Adam Bukhari, um, Darin Weeby, Anna Olsisi. I can, <laughs> I, I can say like, we, we interview all the stars from Dancing with the Stars of this year. We have oh, yeah. them. Interesting. Uh, yeah, telling the, the story uh, and 
uh, talking about the journey on, uh, during rehearsals and how they feel. So it has been incredible. Podcasts, I believe like podcasts are very helpful for business. And, and um, I will say like, if you feel like no one is live with you in the second that you are doing it, don't worry. We, people are gonna watch you later. People, you're gonna, you, you can search the, the views that you have. And oh, yeah. I, sometimes I am surprised like, okay, it was no one was live, but 30 minutes later, we have like 100, 200 views. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's 24-7, 65, yeah. It's, it's mm -hmm. there. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, um, let's talk about our upcoming performance, which is uh, our last one of this season. Boy, I'm telling you, um, Carmina Barano, right? Have I got that correct? And it's uh, it's going to have the orchestra. It's going to have the chorus. Yes. It's going to have the Carmina dance. It's going to be. And it's just about sold out. I can tell you that because I've been over there. It's, it's going to be a big event. That's great. Well, Carmina Burana, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be first time for me dancing this ballet. But Carmina Burana, I believe, is an statement of Dance Alive. You know, Carmina Dance Alive has danced Carmina Burana many times, and well, we bring it to the stage one more time this year, and it's always very welcome from the audience. You know, we have a live music, we have an orchestra, we have the chorus, and of course the dancers and. Some students of, from Profile Studio, the pre-professional level students, they are involved also on the piece. It demands a lot of people on a stage. It's a beautiful, beautiful and meaningful piece. And uh, I can say I, I can find best way to my for my retirement with this piece. It's, it's peaceful. It's not so stressful. So... Uh, Carmina Burana is going to be beautiful, beautiful. And we're going to dance Carmina Burana on the 25th at 7.30. That's a Friday. And we have also a performance on Saturday, 26th at 7.32 at the Phillips Center. And you can buy, people can buy the tickets online, www.dancealive.org, and click and buy your tickets. Or if you have flex tickets, you can just go to the theater and, you know, uh, Find your seat because, as you say, it's, it's mostly sold out. That's fantastic. Well, if anybody wants to contact me, um, I can probably work out an arrangement for them to have a couple of flex tickets. But uh, yeah. um, if you want to contact me, of course, uh, you can get me at wardscottfiles at gmail.com or 352-339-0337. But I'd say contact me pretty quickly because um, you need to go over there and find a seat before they're yeah. all gone, <laughs> which I think is a really great thing. But no, it is uh, when you put all three of those entities together uh, in the Phillips Performing Arts Center, it's really quite, uh, quite, a, quite an event. Um, yeah. have, what, what, what will be your role in this, in this event? Well, on Carmina, we have uh, all dancers, not just me. We have different roles because I don't know if you have seen Carmina before, but Carmina has so many... Um, different stories on, 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 the, on the, the whole ballet. It's different scenes, let's say it that way. And, but one of my favorites is in uh, Court of Love, and I am doing a, a solo that is called Lady in Green, and I just love it. But I'm going to be part of the tavern. I'm going to be part on the spring. Um, I'm going to be a noon on the beginning. So we all play different roles during Carmina. That's, and that's something that I love. 
because it's not just one huge principle couple like you know like regular balance here we all have different parts parts and we all have uh, one moment to shine on a stage well we're talking with jesse Dominguez, who is um thinks she's retiring uh, <laughs> and i hope her i wish her the best but i don't think she's going to be able to get uh get the dance out of her system so we're oh, gonna definitely no i mean i, I <laughs> The word retiring is just because I am retiring from dance a lot and I am retiring from dancing. Um, being a professional, I have been a professional for 21 years. Wow. Started, wow. I started dancing professional when I became 18 years old. I My school was for eight years. I graduated and National Ballet of Cuba take me right at the moment and I start working the same month of my graduation I start my job so that means that I have been dancing professional for 21 years so I wow. believe it's the time for me to to give a little bit more I have been receiving so much that's the way that I feel I receive so much information I receive so much love I receive so much acknowledged from my teachers, from my friends from Cuba, here when I came to United States, from all the people from Dance Alive, King Toro, Judy, all the choreographers that have been working. So I have all that. Now is my time to give. That's the way that I feel. So retirement for me is, is kind of like just the war. I am retiring from Dance Alive. I am retiring from dancing a little bit because I am in a different stage in my life, and and it's my time to give back. Well, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me, and uh, and I know that you'll stay active in this world of uh, of yes. the arts, and uh, you, and you know I've always I've stayed active forever. I mean I I don't know where I really got it from. Probably my mother, who was a dancer, and uh, um, I don't know. I don't think you were with us yet in a dance a lot national ballet, but I. When she was a hundred years old, I brought her to Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, I made her once. I remember. Yeah, yeah. And you know, she was a character because she danced up with somebody that you would know. I'm not going to mention their name, but supposedly that person was a very good dancer, and rightfully so. But then there's my mother's standards, and they danced to Elvis Presley. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. And my mother came back and whispered afterwards to me that the, the her partner wasn't very good. <laughs> I said, mother, mother, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> and here she was, 100. And, you know, that's just my mother. I mean, you know, you know, that was the way she was raised, you know, to be as good as she could be. My uh, my father played in a in a dance band, um, and um, um, his mother played uh, at the piano, and they played. Uh, we have a big river here, I'm sure you know, but the Mississippi River. And, yeah. um, and my father was a young man, uh, they lived on the Mississippi River in a town on the Mississippi River. And uh, my my grandmother, who was blonde haired and blue eyed, played the piano and my father played the saxophone and the clarinet. Wow. And they, had a, they had a dance band on a riverboat, uh, <laughs> a big paddle wheel riverboat, you know, that you see going up and down and, 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 and they oh, have awesome. now in New Orleans. But um, Boy, it was a jazzy. They played a lot of jazz, and so it was in our blood, you know. And uh, my mother and father met at a dance at a, at the college at the University of Illinois, and they won the dance contest. 
as as the mother and father pair. I mean, well, they were just dates then, and that's how they really connected. Is they thought each other, they each other, each approved of the other's dancing ability. Let's put it that way. (laughs) 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 And then, so you know, that sounds kind of similar to what you're talking about. Uh, You know, you guys knew each other as dancers for a long time, and. It's your it's your connectivity now. You know, it really is. And it's going to always be. You're going to have that experience in common. And yes. uh, uh, so anyway, I, it made me think back. I hadn't thought about it. I recall uh, that uh, part of my uh, past until you just mentioned it. And, uh, and then I got to uh, looking through my memory bank here, which still functions somewhat. And uh, <laughs> I recall that story because it connected up with my bringing my mother at 100 years to dance uh, uh, at the uh, Dance Alive uh, uh, activity. and uh, But she was always, uh, and she could play the piano very, very well. So, and her father played the fiddle, the violin, which is called the fiddle. And this might be interesting to you, Jesse. And the, my mother grew up in what was a depression here in this country. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's when everything financially fell out of the bottom of the country. And I asked my mother how they survived that, you know, they said, well, we all sort of moved in together in a big house they had, and they supplied their own entertainment. And I said, what do you mean by that, mother? She says, well, on a Friday night, we would roll up the living room rug, and I'd play the piano, and my father would play the fiddle, and then she went through all these abilities that the members of the family had, and they entertained themselves and had their own dances and had their neighbors in, and that's how they kind of got through the Depression, you know? By by making um, music out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was. Um, I was so intrigued that Cuba has this national national ballet, and we think of Cuba as an oppressive place. Can you sort of comment on that before we have to take? Uh, uh, take I mean, Cuba has one of the best companies in the world, honestly. National Ballet of Cuba is one of the best companies around the world. Uh, when I was with National Ballet of Cuba, I can mention in I can mention like uh, 12, 15 countries that I have been dancing and the best theaters in the world. So it's, it's always interesting because uh, I believe like uh, National Ballet of Cuba was a dream from uh, that that start with Alicia Alonso, Fernando Alonso, and Alberto Alonso. They are the fathers of the Cuban ballet. But after, after generations by generations, we take care of our school. We take care of our method. We take care how we teach our students to, you know, to, uh, we take all the precautions to save the school and to save the Cuban method that it really works. So it's interesting and I agree, uh, I'm such on a small island, uh, with so many problems and so many, you know, we know all how Cuba works. Uh, and unbelievable that you have a, such a, an amazing ballet company there. I agree. Fantastic. Well, Jesse, uh, we'll see you again, of course, around town, as we say. Yeah. And, um, uh, it's really feel fortunate to have gotten to know you and uh, respect you and what you've done and, and uh, um, wish you the best in the future. And Thank I think you. You've been a really ass, big asset to uh, the Dance Alive group. And I have to credit Kim Tuttle for being able to recognize talent instantly. 
uh, and be decisive about it and attract you all here because as you say you've danced all over the world you could continue if you wanted to i'm sure dance anywhere you wanted to in the world but you come here and um that's one of the really great gifts you've given us. So you've already really given us back an awful lot. Thank I'm you. Talk to Jesse Dominguez here. We're going to have to take a break at the bottom of the hour and let her get along with her life today. We really appreciate her coming by and talking with us about Dance Alive, National Ballet, and herself and where she's from and where she's headed. So um, wish you the best, Jesse. I'll see you soon, I'm sure, somewhere. And uh, take care. We'll take a break. Oh, Carmina. See you in Carmina. Oh, yeah. I'll see you in Carmina oh. for sure very, very soon. <laughs> Uh, very soon. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that reminder. We'll be right back in a moment after production gives us uh, the nod of the cap, tip of the cap to our sponsors and our donators. And I'll be right back on Ward Scott Files. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are on the spot dry cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. If your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octone, octone, the papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. You're going to search your belongings. Machner! At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Wardog Command Center inside the Mellon Law Studio, inside the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, which is, in case you haven't checked lately, God's country. Um, just had a great conversation with a wonderful lady, uh, Jesse Dominguez of Dance Alive National Ballet, whom I first met, oh, six years ago when she first came here. Uh, from Cuba, where she was a member of the Cuban National Ballet, which is one of the best in the world, ironically. And that's going to be my theme I'm going to use to segue into my other half of the show today, is how out of oppression can come beauty. And I've covered that theme already with the great piece by Yana Shomain or Lawrence Dorr, which was his nom de plume, uh, uh, the uh, Brandenburg Concerto, which uh, is a magnificent, magnificent story. Um, Giannis uh, was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, and uh, he was a well-known artist and writer in Hungary when all the chaos broke out in his uh, uh, time and was dragged into that against his will, of course. Uh, first was forced to fight with the Germans and then escaped them and was forced to fight with the Russians and then abandoned by them and then pursued by the Russians after the war 
to be taken out or taken down because he was an intellectual and all intellectuals had to be locked up because they were uh, had a questioning mind, an inquiring mind. They were capable of, dis of uh, uh, disapproving, perhaps, of a government doctrine, and they just couldn't have that. And so he worked his way out of East Europe uh, in through England and eventually to the United States, where I had the very good fortune of getting not only to know him, but be practically a member of his family. Um, once upon a time, uh, he, he married a lady he met in, in England, and they who came here to the States with him, and she was head of the occupational therapy department at uh, the University of Florida Health Center. And uh, he uh, uh, lived on uh, with his family on what was then Mr. Buholtz's property, the retired educator, which was out on Rocky Point Road, which is quite a large piece of property that goes all the way down to Payne's Prairie. And back then, I was still in college as a student. Uh, we're talking the early 60s. And uh, I lived in a cottage there. Uh, Mr. Buholtz lived in a, in a house up front. Uh, then he had a couple of cottages, a big one, which Giannis and his uh, family lived in, um, which I loved. I mean, they were, it was really country living and we're back in the woods there. And then I lived in one. And then of course, uh, Giannis and I would hunt uh, and we would hunt squirrels and we'd talk and we'd walk in the woods. That's some, when he did some of his deepest thinking was we walking together in the woods, rifles all across our shoulders. So it was, um, uh, that, that for him brought back all sorts of events, which of course, to purge his mind of those memories he'd shared with me. And that's where I learned so much about uh, World War II and uh, communism, which you know was a terrible word to him, terrible system to him. Uh, we had a great time there. We had three dogs. I can remember them to this day. I've always loved dogs. I've always had dogs. Uh, we had Brandy, Julie, and Tallulah. And Tallulah was a beagle, and we named her Tallulah because Tallulah Bankhead's voice was bigger than her body. So Tallulah would always bay, as those beagles do, and so we, and big old ears, and we named Tallulah Tallulah. And Julie, I named, uh, she was a uh, pointer, uh, white with the black dots and the beautiful eyes, and she was just a sweetheart, and uh, so I called her Julie. And Brandy was the big uh, uh, male uh, Weimaraner, um, Shepherd Cross, big husky, strong dog. And uh, they were our buddies, and we walked in the woods. And then eventually, Giannis's children's the son walked with us, um, who was just a young lad then. Often, he and I would be alone in the woods, and he was only 10 or 11. Uh, he grew up to be quite a man, a uh, very successful entrepreneur. Uh, and I was so pleased to see that he escaped uh, all the hardship and tor torment, along with his sister, Sabet, uh, that, that his father had had to go through in Europe. So out of, out of misery, there can come beauty. And, you know, it's, it's a lot. I almost, you know, except we had Dance Alive today as a guest. But, you know, the paradox of war um, just to give you some of the ugly, great news, for example, um, Biden's approval numbers um, going into the quote unquote Ukraine war, and it is a war, uh, were, were in the tank, just at the very bottom. And all of a sudden, you know, he's got 45% uh, approval. And um, this war, before that, it was COVID, of course, of that uh, is pointed out here in his. Uh, in some of the articles that I'm reading. Um, uh, this one 
uh, points out, uh, 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 this was uh, written by one of the Breitbart writers, um, that uh, now the media has been having to use, and this is sort of a, a, a sad commentary on how our media works, but it, it dragged out COVID and it, uh, it uh, kept, you know, all these updates and um, this hysteria going on. And you don't hear anything about it anymore, although occasionally you'll see pick up something about COVID. But of course, uh, we have now got this uh, Ukraine situation. And the Democrats, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what this does. It gives them any kind of bump at all in the midterms coming up. Um, you know, they were headed to a dismal rendezvous with a voter in the fall. Uh, Ukraine might uh, might give them a bump, and 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 you know you got to watch it because I'm going to talk about what happened to H.W. Bush's bump. He was really the most popular president we've had when he first went into Kuwait. Uh, I mean, Iraq to save Kuwait, and he ended up being at the bottom of the barrel not long after that. Uh, so he was a one-term president. Um, meanwhile, as our guest alluded to a moment ago. Uh, what this does, this Ukraine situation, is takes our eye off the illegal border entries, the illegal uh, um, um, alien murders. It takes us, our eye off the drug dealers. It takes our eye off the gang members and the welfare recipients. And it takes our eye off of the uh, uh, inflation and the price of gas and all that. Um, uh, these days, uh, it's also taken our eye off of the transgender uh, issues and the inherent evil of white people. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, what I sort of titled this segment of the show is the irony of war or maybe even the paradox of war is out of this misery is going to come something good. But for whom will it be good? Uh, unfortunately, it looks as if it's not, of course, good for those of you in this world who have been on the receiving end of the violence of Russia. But these political animals who are like chameleons and can adjust if they're any good to any background they're on may actually be somewhat salvaged by it here in our country anyway. Um, it may wipe the, uh, the, the collective mind of the United States off of the woke generation for a while. And, uh, uh, you know, and Biden is doing this uh, by really ramping up our money, by the way, and I suppose they just print it. I, I can't figure out where it comes from. We know that we've got inflation running rampant. We know that uh, him opening spigots and giving people money uh, in, in the COVID times uh, was, was, had, a, had a paradoxical uh, impact and had it created unemployment. And it, it, it uh, made too much cash available for too few goods because when these money was given by the government, to these people, they stopped working, and by stop working, they stopped producing goods, and so it was a cat chasing its tail, and uh, we've got that situation, which the point of what I'm talking about now is no longer uh, central news front row. Uh, the first week of Bush's war, his numbers shot up from 64% to 82, but by election day in 1992, his approval rate was down to 34%. Um, it was uh, so, you know, this is just as all is just as uh, iffy. everything is so iffy right now. Uh, but, you know, the deaf politician may find a way to use it to his advantage. Uh, 
the one politician, though, that the world is really looking at carefully, uh, of course, is Zelensky, um, who was a comedian. And that's another thing that I'm making note of here. He was an artist. And when it came time to lead, the artist became the leader. Um, I think the artist is always suited to be the leader because the artist is the one who is most involved with connectivity every day. And in, tapes, in terms of the comedians, the real good comedians are the highest, uh, have the highest uh, intelligence of anybody. Uh, that is the, the word wit appears in Hamlet, for example, many, many times. And uh, wit is the highest level of intelligence because it's quick, bang, pow, it's on you. You didn't know it was coming from. The guys who are witty don't even know they're witty half the time. It just is the way they think. Bang, it's out there, and there it is, and they'll say something funny. And the great comedians are really ones that don't have a script and just start winging it. The Jonathan Winters and people like this come to mind. Uh, but this guy was a comedian, obviously very, very bright before he was pressed into action as a politician. And so he has the intellectual ability, if you consider the truth of what I'm saying, that wit is the highest level of intelligence. Um, the, the word in Hamlet is uh, very funny. It, the only the, the brightest guy in the play really is probably the one grave digger in Act Five that is digging Ophelia's grave, or he's able to outwit um, uh, Hamlet even, and he's out obviously able to outwit. Um, his companion gravedigger, who is kind of the foil to him, that allows Shakespeare to demonstrate how bright the uh, one grave maker is. And uh, there, there is a question that is asked in, in Act Five. It's it's a comedy, but Shakespeare learned that he had to give some com some kind of relief to the heaviness of the play. Uh, King Leary didn't do that, and King Lear became almost insufferable for an audience to watch because it was so sad. And there was no relief from the tragedy, if you will, and sorrow. Uh, so uh, Shakespeare didn't do that with Hamlet. Uh, he broke it up in Act Five, which is really a tour de force. And he has it with the grave makers making Ophelia's grave. And um, a couple of questions come up. I'm doing this from memory now. I don't have the script in front of me. But Hamlet doesn't know uh, uh, much about the grave makers' uh, job and who they're digging the grave for. He's just escaped from the clutches of uh, of, uh, of, of Fortinbras, of, of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, who were going to take him to the King of England to have, have him killed. Uh, uh, and he got and Hamlet got away. And so he's coming back and he comes upon the grave makers making Ophelia's grave. And uh, 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 they pun on the word lie. Whose grave is it, sir? Mine, sir. When Hamlet said, well, it's not yours. And he says, well, it's mine. And he says, well, you don't lie in it. And they put on the word lie. And of course, what the, uh, uh, the grave maker is saying. And this is my point also about uh, how art gets created. Uh, I mentioned one time that the great gospel songs of uh, black folks were born in, for the most part, in uh, uh, picking cotton. And, uh, and, and a way to alleviate the arduous task of picking cotton, you sang. And... Uh, and uh, um, uh, uh, that that became a way in which you endured what you were doing. And the grave maker makes jokes and that enables him to endure what he's doing. And um, Hamlet, uh, they pun on the word lie. Hamlet asks how long a, a body will last in the earth. And 
um, the uh, grave maker tells Hamlet uh, it will last um, uh, uh, seven years unless it's a tanner's body and a tanner will last nine years. And Hamlet asks the grave maker, why will a body? Uh, and then the grave maker says, if it's, n it's not rotten here before it gets here. And he's punning on the moral decay of the kingdom under Claudius. And, and so Hamlet says, well, why was the tanner uh, last nine years and the average body last seven? And the grave maker says, well, your water is a sore decayer of your horsing dead body. And the profanity is horsing, son of a whore. Because you see, in a, in a Christian society, to uh, uh, be a, a woman involved with sexuality outside the marriage uh, would make you, of course, a prostitute or a whore. But so it becomes a profane, a profanity in the play, your horse and dead body. And see, everyone has fallen from grace in Christianity. So it's become for the grave maker a, 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 an adjective, horse and dead body. And so Hamlet says, well, how, how come the tanner will last two more years? Well, a tanner is a man who uses his hands, my friends, to uh, waterproof leather. And in so doing, of course, what the grave maker is teaching Hamlet is that when you waterproof the skin, which is the leather uh, of a saddle or something else, you're also waterproofing your own skin. And that becomes a big joke uh, that a tanner will last two more years in the grave before the water rots him if he's not rotten before he already gets there. Um, so uh, this gives comic relief to the tragic ending of the story. So we have the same thing here with Zelensky, who has got the world upon his shoulders right now and has really become the most extraordinary president in the world. Uh, now, this is something that uh, we're noting. Uh, he's not flinching. He's not backing down. And I said before, if you want to understand the dynamics of our civil war and how this, why the South sought, fought so hard uh, is because their country was invaded by the North. Uh, the South was its own country. And what the South would have settled for here in our Civil War was a zoning issue, if you will. Why not zone part of our country? I still wonder about this agricultural. And why not zone part of our country industrial and have them live together? We do that in cities, do we not? Although you can see what's happening here in Alachua County, the city is taking over the country side. That's a big mistake. What we should do is balance the two. We should have a lot of agricultural parts of our country because that's how we have food. That's how we, if all hell breaks loose and we lose the ability to exchange material goods and then use the money to buy the food, we can still grow the food if we haven't destroyed all the rural countryside. So the South argued that. Why not just rezone it? No, no, no. One size had to fit all. One size had to fit all. And so the North invaded the South. It invaded the South with the shot heard around the world at Fort Sumter. So we have the same thing here. We have, and Lee became a fantastic leader. You have to understand that these guys, Lee and Grant and all these guys, went to, they were classmates. They went to school together. They sat next to each other in classrooms. So Zelensky, uh, you know, these guys are all from the same kind of DNA. But by golly, they want to have their homes 
the right to have a home and the right to have an economy the way they want to have it in their zone, in their world, and they have self-determination. And if they want agricultural community, they get an agricultural community. We're fighting that very fight right now with single member districts in this county, right here. Those fools, it's downtown, Cornell and those guys want everybody one size to fit all. And, and we're, you know, we're gonna see if we have any remnants of a voice left whatsoever when the single member district thing comes to, 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 uh, to, to conversation. So Zelensky is kind of a, uh, 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 the, the proverbial canary in the mine shaft right now. He is being watched ironically by the cancel culture, which has canceled all the dissent in our country, but hasn't canceled it internationally and has been canceled, as I said, by Russia. And it is one of the great ironies of what's going on right now. But you have to realize this thing just didn't happen overnight. Uh, before Biden became president, uh, Putin uh, uh, had been conditioned by the Obama-Biden administration uh, to see us as weak. Uh, when Russia seized Crimea in 2014, we didn't do anything about it. We put modest sanctions there and we refused to arm Ukraine. I mean, come on. And, 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 and Putin's attacks on civilians during Syria's civil war, which started in 2015, uh, we only lightly sanctioned uh, the Syrian leader, lightly sanctioned. We let Putin run around loose over there. Um, and then once Biden becomes the president, what does a fool do? He discards our most powerful geopolitical advantage. Karl Rove, whom I usually don't pay much attention to, has written about this. And uh, he's expressed these ideas, and I think he's dead on, and you do too. Our powerful advantage, which Trump built up, was our energy independence. And the first thing Biden did when he got in there was destroy our energy dis independence uh, and our geopolitical advantage. He canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He halted leases for drilling on federal land and waters. He restricted access to capital for oil and gas companies, and he piled on the regulatory burdens, okay? Uh, my golly, Putin had to see this and say, what is wrong with those fools? What is going on with those idiots? Hey, they're putting themselves in my hands. I'm the one they're going to buy the oil from. And then, of course, Biden, embarrassingly, goes down to Maduro in Venezuela and tries to buy oil from them, and he can't supply the oil. Uh, it's, it's, and we got our own oil here, for God's sakes. So Biden knew all that, and Biden never really did much with the defense budget. Uh, he gave it a 1.6% increase, but after inflation, it was actually a decline in American defense spending. And Biden uh, had to have sent a signal to Putin, hey, these guys aren't committed to any kind of military uh, strength, and they're, they're ambivalent, they're biting themselves, they're cannibalizing themselves at home, um, they're arguing over matters that are totally irrelevant, uh, wanting to rewrite history, and who's going to rewrite history? History's history. Uh, you know, why do, they, why do they dwell on that? Um, and perhaps, though, the thing that really tipped it off was Biden's behavior in surrendering in Afghanistan. And no doubt, not only were we here in this country astounded by that, to leave all of that equipment, which we paid for, you know, out there in the sands to the enemy, to the Taliban, 
abandoned it to the Taliban, Putin must have gone, my God, they've lost their minds. Now, we think Putin's lost his, but he must think we've lost ours. I mean, how in the heck can he view it any other way? Um, a uh, Washington poll, according to uh, the, the numbers that Rove is presenting, uh, February 24th, uh, if the Russians invaded Ukraine, it found that only 36 of a percent of Americans uh, said Biden was a strong leader, while 59 percent said he wasn't. So now the numbers for Biden have come up somewhat. And we're wondering, is this guy going to use this after he set up? You know, it's it's awful. You couldn't write a script any better than this. Biden, if you were Biden, sends a message that we're weak. Uh, he sent, he plummets in the polls. He turns on his own people. He endorses all of his cannibalistic behaviors, six races on each other by his de facto absence. And then along comes this president, Zelensky, who saves him. Wow. What a scenario. I don't I don't know. You know, in Hamlet, uh, Claudius had to have Fortinbras. I mean, there was no other way he could have it. Uh, Fortinbras. You can say Fortinbras, Fortinbras. It means strong arms. And that, that Shakespeare was trying to convey in the naming of that prince what the prince was standing for. He stood for being militarily strong. So uh, you, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to take a look now at whether or not there are some paradoxes here. Because the next, I've spent some time last evening studying all this pretty closely. That from what I can tell from the military strategists is the next 10 days to two weeks are going to tell the story. Uh, whatever happens there in the next 10 days or two weeks, uh, we're going to know the size, the uh, speed and the depth of, of this war, which is being called by uh, Daniel Henninger World War Two and a half. Um, it is, um, you know, we, we don't know really yet. The effects of this uh, massive scale of uh, powerful messaging that we're able to send now uh, through our video means and our instant messaging system, as I did yesterday, I shared with you images that were sent over a secure messaging system to me from somebody who has was in those barracks uh, that you saw that were in good shape. And then you saw after they've been hit and bombed by the Russians, uh, that was fresh off the battlegrounds that sent to me immediately, and I shared it with you uh, yesterday. Uh, that was all possible because of these internet systems. Um, so maybe they've been over here using, they've been, they've been used to punish people like us uh, for saying things that don't go along with the popular narrative uh, of, of elections and violate, therefore, quote unquote, uh, this ill-defined community standard stuff. And yet out of this may come something positive. So I'm still trying to go back to my theme for this half hour uh, that out of uh, uh, there never was an ill. This is the sailor's adage. There never was an ill wind that didn't blow somebody a good. That is a sailor's saying. There never was an ill wind that didn't blow somebody a good. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.